Did Lola get dressed up for Halloween? Yes, I took her for a walk this morning. It was kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but because she was dressed as Wonder Woman, but then she met like a little dog dragon and then a little dog shark. That sounds fantastic. So, now, did you take a picture of Lola dressed as Wonder Woman? Yes, I do. I have multiple photos. Okay, because I'm gonna ha- like now. I'm gonna have to include them in the show notes. Absolutely, no uh, problem. Do you come up with a different costume every year? Because I remember she was an Ewok once. She was an Ewok once. That was a homemade costume. That is kind of a fail. Um, <laughs> I just, I highly disagree. <laughs> this could get expensive over the over the lifetime of. I mean, dogs are expensive anyway, but this could get expensive over the lifetime of a dog. Yeah, no, no, no. She she was uh, I think Wonder Woman for Halloween two years ago. Oh, okay. I dressed up as like I had a Wonder Woman shirt I wore to work, and she wore her little costume to gotcha. work. Well, I mean, now yeah. you'll you'll probably get another year out of it because, like, I mean, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four probably won't be until next year. So <laughs> that's true. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, Ryan. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode two hundred forty six of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of my movie loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Dear people, recording these podcasts is sometimes a surreal experience. Time after time, I freeze a moment in amber and release it out into the world, not knowing what will change about me, my guest, or the world itself in the time that follows that crystallized moment. Things change, people change, the world changes. This episode, for instance, will be released one measly day before the American presidential election. And who knows how that will go, and if people will care about this moment that we're in right now, this conversation that we're about to have. I hope you still care, but I really don't know. We must live in these moments. We must make the best of what we're dealt at any given second because we might miss out on something wonderful while we're looking ahead to something stressful and or unpleasant or just game-changing as the case may be. Speaking of something wonderful and something pleasant, my guest today sure is that. Someone wonderful, not something. She is a great critic, a clear voice, and a good friend when we all need as many as we can get. She writes at Live for Film. Hillary Butler is here. How are you, Hillary Butler? I'm okay. It's uh, it's Halloween. It's a yes. weird Halloween. Very much. I don't, know, I don't know if I will have anyone knock on my door while we're recording this, but uh, we'll see. We talked about this earlier this week, and I must still come down on the please don't camp. I've seen, like, driving around today, I did see a bunch of kids trick-or-treating around the east end of the city already, and I'm like, dear God, like, why? Why are we doing this? Why can't we just leave this as being able to say, do you remember that one Halloween that sucked because we couldn't go? <laughs> you know, this is this is how we're going to have to specify this in the future as to which mm-hmm. Halloween that sucked we are talking about. As Hillary mentioned, we are kind of recording this on the quick. Um, it is Saturday night as I'm talking right now and these go up on Monday morning. So we're going to kind of go a little bit quickly this time around and um, skip know your enemy um hillary is kind of deep into the well on that one anyway so i I like to save people who have answered multiple times so that i don't have to write new questions i'm (laughs) really hitting the snooze button on that one i do apologize for that but um we'll 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 make it up to you next time right now we are in fact going to go straight to the new slang for episode 246 we are going to be talking about on the rocks right after this
On the Rocks was written and directed by Sofia Coppola. It stars Rashida Jones, Bill Murray, and Marlon Wayans. Rashida Jones plays Laura, a writer married to Dean. That's Marlon Wayans. The couple have two young girls, are living comfortably in New York, even if Laura's writing career isn't quite where she wants it to be. Dean, meanwhile, is killing it in a tech startup. Killing it meaning a lot of time away from his family. When Laura begins to suspect Dean might be having an affair, she opens up to her father, Felix. That's Bill Murray. Felix, a bad partner and father himself, hangs his own shitty manhood on Dean and leads the two on a merry chase to catch him in the act. We should specify here and now that we are going to spoil the heck out of this movie. So if you haven't seen it, maybe give it a watch first and then come back. Um, it, It doesn't really have any kind of a twist, but it's a story that I feel needs to be talked about in the complete. On the Rocks is largely a series of conversations. Much of what is truly happening in Laura's life is away from the camera. We watch and listen while she tells us how it makes her feel and asks what she should do next. If the cardinal rule of film is show, don't tell, this film does a lot of telling. So pop quiz hotshot, does this work? (laughs) What are we to make of a character expressing her opinions over and over about her familial relationships instead of just watching these relationships and her reactions unfurl? Uh, It works for me. I like things laid out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and right now I like that I don't have to think too hard to figure out (laughs) where a character is coming from, but I also appreciate that this is a woman that doesn't mind asking for help. She's not keeping it all up inside. Now, whether she's asking for help in the right places remains to be seen, I suppose, but, um, she's not afraid to speak her mind. Um, and we can always use more of those characters. That's true. I mean, the reason why I ask is because skipping kind of straight to the brainchild behind this project, Sofia Coppola has really made her career on making the audience do the heavy lifting. You know, like she her her films are often very, very quiet. Like you can often write the script on a napkin um, mm-hmm. and you have to extrapolate on to Scarlett Johansson or Kirsten Dunst or Emma Watson, what they are thinking and what they're going through from moment to moment, because Coppola likes to just kind of film them thinking and film them sitting in space and moving through space and just letting their expressions and their body language do the work here. Rashida Jones doesn't do that very often. She does it from time to time. It's usually when she's sitting in her own apartment, we get a lot of shots mm-hmm. of her sitting in that desk, but yes. by and large, she's articulating it a lot more. And I, I, you know, while I did enjoy the movie, there's a lot of times where she was articulating it. And I was, I wasn't exactly going along with what was being articulated. Like I, I preferred the other films where I could graft a little bit more onto what they were thinking than just listening to what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that just comes from a place of personal preference. Well, yeah, right now, to, welcome to the show, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did go back and I watched a couple earlier, couple of films yesterday. I watched the Virgin Suicides and the Beguiled. Um, the Beguiled I've never seen before. Mm. And, and you're right. In the Beguiled, there's a lot of stuff that goes very unsaid. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's it's kind of 
blatantly unsaid. I mean, I guess that their facial expressions and the way that they're carrying themselves say a lot. This is, I guess, more modern yeah. piece. And she's creating a more modern character and a more modern woman. True. Um, and so I think that that goes along with the way that she expresses herself. Right. I think maybe I dug it more because it was like, I really miss New York and watching people go out for cocktails was super <laughs> enticing. Right. That's <laughs> that, true. That, that certainly added a little bit to it. Um, I like, I like that Stockholm syndrome is beginning to enter our criticism. Right? You know, <laughs> it was really great. The way seeing, they showed those, those seeing people hug people. all of a sudden is like, a, you know, it's shocking. Um, I don't think there's a lot of great father daughter movies out there. And I do think that this is a good father daughter film, even though they have their, relationship issues but i mean every familial relationship has their issues i suppose and i think in in other hands it could have become kind of silly could have become like a caper film with them trying to track down the you know marlon wayans wrongdoings and it could have become really just over the top but in her hands it became something different it was slightly more layered and and just visually lovely like it did make me miss new york and going there a lot (laughs) okay see when you put it that way i actually i i would say i I appreciate it more like i came into this movie as i said like thinking about the other sofia coppola movies but if we're painting this as a screwball comedy in the hands of sofia coppola that's a different story the mary chase as i said in the intro around new york and elsewhere as it turns out mm-hmm. in the hopes of catching her husband in the act yeah this would this is this is exactly what i think that movie would be in the hands of sofia coppola i appreciated this movie for sure i i think i've brought this up on the show already but i can't remember entirely we're judging on a different scale right this moment because in terms of getting new content it's just we're so starved that every little crumb mm-hmm. we get it's like it's a spike you know so like if this movie was something like a a 2020 B plus, it might be a 2018 C minus. So it's, it's a weird scale that we're entering these on. So I did, I I did appreciate it. I would never go so far as to say that this is a bad movie. However, um, I was not satisfied with what I saw. Um, mostly because as I've already said, the baggage I brought in was Sofia Coppola's career, which we might as well like get to it right now. You said you watched a few more of her movies this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, just the just the beguiled and virgin suicides. I wish I'd had time to go back and watch Lost in Translation again because, truthfully, I don't think I've actually watched that since it first came out. I don't know why. Well, I do know why because I don't really rewatch movies that often. But <laughs> it would have been interesting to see Bill Murray in that movie in comparison to this one. But I just ran out of time. Well, I have I mean, seen somewhere I think along the way, but that was again a, a long time ago. I watched that one. I mean, I really should give that one another shake because of all her movies, that is the one I like the least by a very, very healthy margin. But I wonder because a lot of her other films kind of grew in kind of escalated in terms of my appreciation of them as Mm -hmm. I went back to them. And I wonder if that would be one that would, that would grow. Um, It's funny that you mentioned lost in translation because that movie seemed to be about Coppola's marital issues. Like she's come out and said that that was 
uh, at least inspired, if not necessarily based on her relationship with Spike Jones. This one, parts of it feel like they might be some of her daddy issues with Francis. I don't really <laughs> know if she's writing from experience. I sure hope not. But <laughs> it's 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 funny that she's gone through these different um, phases in terms of the stories that she's written. Um, you know, where whether it's a relationship or whether it's um, materialism and something like the bling ring or um, I mean, Virgin suicide was adapted from a book. So that's that one we can't really judge, but um, I, I must admit that Coppola is um, a storyteller who I really anticipate her work. Now I, I was kind of up and down on her early in her career, but around the time the bling ring came out, I was really sold on just everything. Cause I, you know, I went back and rewatched Marie Antoinette, which I didn't like as much when mm-hmm. it first came out. And I, it, I think that might be why I'm a little cool on, on the rocks. She has this way of just bringing you into a space and making you feel that space. And there's a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. spaces in, 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 on the rocks. Like a lot of these really, really, um, expensive restaurants they go to like her house that she shares with dean is a really lovely house um it's it's wonderful what like just moving through these spaces but it feels like we're always like kind of too distracted by conversations going on to appreciate some of the visuals it's funny because like at the beginning of the movie she has some really incredible visuals. She has this spiral staircase as they're mm-hmm. going through like the wedding and them jumping into this beautiful blue pool and everything. And I'm like, Oh, this, this set up like a very interesting visual dynamic and mood. It's a strange move for her. Now. I mean, it's, it's still like, like you said, again, if we're thinking about this as kind of a buddy comedy or, or a screwball comedy, it's certainly better than most of the ones we'd get. It's just kind of a shock to the system considering the other six movies that, that she's, she's made. Um, you know, Bill Murray in this movie, Bill Murray basically these days just kind of shows up and does his Bill Murray thing. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) He is suave chauvinist, old school guy. Right. And and I'm not sure whether or not she's speaking from experience of her father and as you said i hope not but more so like old school hollywood and what these old what these guys used to be like you know hits on every woman dresses to the nines can't help himself you know complimenting you know the pregnant lady when she walks out of the restaurant he's he's a whole different ball game and bill murray can can pull it off and still be charming which is kind of gross <laughs> that he can still make me feel that way i'm like oh you're still charming even though you're a jerk i mean that's that's the whole that's the whole thing right like every time we wonder how are men ever allowed to act this way you watch bill murray act this way and it's like oh yeah that's how you know it, yeah. and and yeah it's it's a really it's it's a really interesting character to write and to direct um for for coppola murray of course just does his murray thing which i mean it's it's been 
a real trip to watch Murray's career over the years. Like he's not being the zany dork that he was in movies like Stripes and Meatballs and um, Ghostbusters and those kinds of things. But he's like, this is not the same sort of sad introvert that we would see in like Wes Anderson movies or certainly in like in Lost in Translation. I kind of wonder if this is more, this is a guy she's met. This is this has yeah. got to be it. like she's writing from experience and hanging this on Murray. And for all we know, it may even just be a version of Murray that most of us don't know. I don't think a lot of us know much about Bill Murray. He's such a like recluse outside of <laughs> his his movie dynamic. Right. So, yeah, no, so you could be right. <laughs> Maybe it's but it's a it's an interesting performance because. On the one hand, he seems to be that I am this to some people that that guy friend in the corner of of a woman saying, yeah, that guy sucks. And let's go figure out why he sucks and how he sucks. Um, On the other hand, he's also just grafting his bullshit onto another guy. So it's an interesting character to write. The movie starts off with him saying, like, don't give your heart to boys, your mind to his daughter. Right. Yeah. And that kind of goes through the movie. He's always commenting on, oh, that's a nice bracelet that Dean gave you. Did you know that Bengals were like a sign of of property? And then he gives her a watch to put on her wrist instead. Yeah. So he's always kind of marking these women in his life as property. That's how he's seen them. They can come and go. They can, he's, you know, that's, that's his way of life. That's his way of thinking about women. I am the funny thing is I am never going to look at a bracelet or a watch on a woman and not think of that ever again. <laughs> like I don't know if that's true or if Coppola made it up. I mean it's it sounds true enough. Uh but it's it's I'm I'm like thanks for that. Now you've now you've totally screwed up watches and bracelets for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm only going to buy my own from now on. <laughs> yeah. That quote that opens the movie where he or the father says to the daughter you're mine until you're married. That's, and even then you're still mine. And even then you're still mine. That's a that's a really, really crazy statement to open a movie with. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, when I watched it the second time around, I was trying to watch it with that in mind. And I guess I didn't really pick up on so many of the things the first time I watched it that link into that quote, like the watch. But in the first time I I watched it, I was like, oh, that's really nice that he's giving her like this memory from her childhood, which is maybe one of the only memories that she really has of him because he was, or good memories that she has of him. But then the second time I watched it, I was like, that's not necessarily what he means, I don't think, by this. And and you're right. I feel like he, he kind of has all these failures in relationships in his own life. And he's quite happy to actually blow up his daughter's marriage to bring her back into the fold. And I, I honestly feel like that may have been some of his um, reason for going on this deluded journey. Well, I mean, it's it's validation, right? Like back to back to that role of being a, like a male platonic friend in the face of, uh, you know, relationship questions. It's the it's something between like father figure, priest and shrink. You know, and, 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 but not having to put the work in on any one of those roles that if you can spell out where a guy is doing a woman in your life wrong, 
then you are better than that man. Here's this guy who Laura has picked for herself that seemingly Felix seems to like. Uh, you know, like they get along. He never calls them any names. He never kind of assigns any, you know, any kind of labels on him. But, you know, the first time that Laura thinks that he's doing something wrong, because she says, I found something of his coworkers in his luggage. Felix's first response is, ooh, rookie mistake. You know, yeah. as, as, as in clearly like, dude, you did not cover your tracks well enough. And now you're in my ship books. He just assumes that every man is like that. Yeah. That's that's his own like narrow-minded view of the world is through the lens in which he's lived. And he just assumes that every man is out there to, as he says, impregnate every female. Yeah. <laughs> that's their role in life. Yeah, yeah, so pretty he, much. So he can't assume that anyone would be monogamous. You brought it up already, but the, you know, the one thing that does that does come up in this movie is um the watch. And Certainly, you know, making making mention of the fact that wristwatches and bangles are kind of a symbol for, you know, for, for bondage in a relationship. Should we make anything of the fact that both Laura's husband and her father give her a watch for her birthday? <laughs> it's funny when you watch the end of this movie and you see him give her a, the new watch. It's a little more loaded, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's obviously there's, there's symbolism there of him kind of taking her back into the family fold and the father going back onto the outside. She puts that watch back in the box and closes the lid and you don't ever know whether she's going to put that back on again. Right. Cause now I feel like she's, I guess it's there to solidify their relationship. Now I don't, she says earlier in the movie with the Bengal bracelet, like, I don't think Dean means it as property. So she already has that in her head. The watch is a different, whole different meaning when it comes to him. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Dean feels that way, I guess, is the yeah. <laughs> the flip side of the coin. I, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't think, I certainly don't think that, that Dean means it that way. I don't like, I just, one, it's one of those things where, like, you know, when you find that somebody has chosen somebody in their life that's a mimic of their parent, you know, whether it's a man choosing a woman that reminds him of his mother or, or a woman choosing a man that reminds her of her father, um, you know, there is there is a lovely poetry of switching out one watch for the other. You know, when we talk mm-hmm. about you're mine until you're married and even then you're still mine, there's a lovely declaration in that of taking off her father's old watch and putting on the one that Dean gives her. I, you know, it's just one of those things that I wonder, I'm like, man, what are we to make of the fact that these two men in this woman's life got her the exact same thing? <laughs> Maybe that's part of that unsaid stuff that you were missing for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is giving you something to think about. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, some of these things will get burned in on the second time around after this conversation. Yes. Coming in and out of this movie, this is one of those things that I actually did not like in this movie. Coming in and out of this story, we've got Jenny Slate as, as this <laughs> Greek chorus in a single woman who comes in and out of Laura's daily routine and tells her about like her relationship problems. Yeah. What, what did you think of this whole addition? She's a perpetual oversharer. I yes. I kind of loved it because really? it was always it was always a one sided conversation and you want to talk about 
situations where Rashida Jones could wear things on her face. She is nowhere into these conversations. Oh, she yeah. is thinking not about Jenny Slate's character at all in yeah. these conversations. So there's a little moment in time there where you get that unmentioned glimpse that you wanted. Right. Mind you, you have to deal with Jenny Slate's narration of, of this <laughs> from anything to relationship problems to the fact that she wants to artistically create nails <laughs> and not fingernails like I thought it was initially, but like furniture nails. <laughs> right. Yes. It's all very kind of mundane, I suppose, conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, I guess, again, this, this, is un, this is kind of unfair of me in terms of talking about the movie I wanted versus the movie I got. But I would have, I wanted quiet in those movies. So the fact that Jenny Slate keeps coming in and out and talking about this relationship that she's having that's going into some very, very bad places. Um I, it can't like, I, I kept having to just shake my head every time she came in and out. Cause she kind of came, it was like almost every time there was some movement in the plot in comes Jenny Slate. Um, and if people haven't watched this movie yet, when Jenny Slate shows up, watch Rashida Jones. You can just, you can kind of listen. Cause I mean, you, you can't not Jenny Slate doesn't give you an option as to whether you want to listen to what she's saying or not, <laughs> but watch laura in these scenes and watch her face and her posture because it is priceless uh, you want to talk about characters that are probably based on people that <laughs> sophia coppola knows yeah this is someone that she knows this oh is, man this is the too much information person that she meets in line i i don't know whether she has children but if she has children it's definitely at their kid's school if not it's in line at the coffee shop yeah this is a person that she is writing probably about the things that this person has told her. That person's going to recognize themselves in this movie. And there's going to be a conversation that's going to be very uncomfortable. Probably. But I mean, <laughs> Jenny, Jenny Slate works it up. Yes. Perfectly. I, I could have actually done, done with more of her. I liked her. I, like, but I mean, I love Jenny Slate. It was, just, it was just, it was kind of one step too far in this, in this movie. Cause I was more invested in, Laura, Felix, and Dean, and what was going on there, and you know what what may or may not be happening with Dean's uh, partner, Fifi Fiona, is there is her name? You know, like I, I was kind of wanting a little bit more of that dynamic, and to kind of watch them. Like this entire movie is mm -hmm. through Laura's eyes. Like there is nothing that happens without her there. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I think maybe that's something I would want is to kind of watch. To watch her watch them more. Like, there's a scene where she goes to this, like, launch party at mm -hmm. Dean's firm, and she watches, first of all, like, she meets some of his coworkers, and they are so socially inept, it's not funny. But mm -hmm. then she watches Dean and Fiona interact, and you can kind of see where some of these suspicions grow. Like, there's a look that goes a little too long, and a touch that goes mm -hmm. a little too high, and... If we are painting this in the brush of really close coworkers, it checks. But it's one of those things that, you know, it also would spur the suspicion. Like you, you, she's not crazy. Like all mm -hmm. of the oh, no. math in this thing, in terms of there is infidelity going on, it absolutely adds up. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does. I mean, Pablo does a good job at laying those little cookie crumbs out for you. Like, yeah. It's it is that moment at the launch party where he walks away with Fiona and leaves her standing there by herself, despite the fact that she knows no one at this party, which yeah. made me even more mad the second time I watched it. <laughs> guys, um, don't do also, guys, don't do that. Guys, don't do that. 
ever. Don't do that. Bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Bad idea. Um, but also like when he, when they go back to the apartment and he checks his phone and like, she walks into the door of the apartment first and he kind of holds his phone to his side. Like he's hiding something that he's looking at. So there, there's these little shots that actually do lay a very credible, you know, kind of case for his potential adultery. She's not crazy. Like it's, this has been really well crafted in terms of the behavior that checks, but it leads to questions. It's, you know, that, that's the thing. Like I feel this kind of story in less capable hands would be, you know, and I hate this term, but here's a, here's a jealous bitch. You know, she's not, she's not crazy. She's not jealous. I mean, she is, she is those things, but the way Mm -hmm. any normal person would be, it's not painted up as somebody who is like completely spinning out of control. She has reasons for all like there. We are seeing the reasons that she has to feel these ways, regardless of how badly Felix stokes them. Cause he does a real, he is never on the side of, well, maybe it's nothing. You know, he's always on the side of no, 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 this is something. You and know. her family doesn't help either. Like they also helped to, in their one little scene together, stoke the flames a little bit with her mom. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. But I mean, don't forget, like she's also at a stage in her life where she's also trying to find her self identity. You know, she's, she's an author. She's, you know, done, done this writing gig. It sounds like she's had a successful book before, I think. And she's trying to follow up on this a little bit, but now she's had kids and she, I think what Pablo does in a lot of her movies is kind of portrait these women that are in strange times in their life where they don't really know who they are. Um, that was certainly something I took out of virgin suicides, especially when, you know, they say, Oh, you have no idea what it's like to be 13. Well, yeah, exactly. You have this very awkward part in your life, but in midlife where I guess we are, mm-hmm. um, it's also awkward because here's, her husband's going out to all these highfalutin parties and she's there describing herself as the buzzkill and the person who has to plan everything. And she doesn't really know where her place is either. And that insecurity helps to feed all of this. Um, yeah. A little yeah. bit more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that, that end of this movie is done really well. I like, I gotta, I gotta be honest, as we're talking about this, this movie is growing in my estimation, like you're, you are giving me a lot of things that I hadn't really considered about it the first time around. But the question must be asked, um, is this film too bougie? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that like she spends a few scenes in this movie wearing a t-shirt for the Paris review and they sit in some really, really nice bars and they move, you know, like he takes her to, to drinks at 21 Coppola's world is one of a lot of privilege that comes just from the fact that her name is Coppola and the story some of the stories that she's told a lot of the stories that she's told are of some very rich white people so you know that that is the one thing I would be concerned about is watching this film you know I can't imagine if a person living in like a one bedroom apartment you know in some you know, some further corner of some cheaper town is going to relate to what these very rich white people are going through, moving around these very shishi spots in New York, living their very, very bougie life. When it comes to the issues in this relationship, 
and the way that they've navigated them, I think that's somewhat universal. Sure. But like, make no mistake, this is, yeah, I mean, Bill Murray is showing up with a driver in a limo. This was never going to be a story about people, you know, yeah. in different class than them. They've, he, she's grown up this way. Right. You like know? he's, Clearly. you know, when, when they go on the stakeout, he's got caviar sitting down by the gear shift. Yes. Yeah. So I, I mean that, that's it, the thing, that's the thing I would kind of warn people about is you are going to watch some very, very bougie shit. Yeah. <laughs> Again, at this point in time, maybe, uh, well, I guess I should say for me, I loved seeing it, but also I guess there is a read the room element to it mm. and that this is definitely pretty far away from what a lot of people could imagine themselves being yeah. right now. Yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, look, you want to see beautiful vintage car and some really nice, uh, interiors. Coppola's got, got it for you. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you know, if you really want to miss going out for dinner, this is the movie for you. Yeah. You know, I, I raised the spoiler warning earlier on in this review, but if you haven't seen this movie and you're worried about being spoiled, please turn back. Now we get to, we get to the payoff of all of this, which has the two of them going to Mexico of all things, mm-hmm. which, okay, I guess. Um, and we get there and we discover that, you know, because Dean has said that he's been called onto this job conference down in Mexico. He hasn't given her any kind of a big heads up. Like he gives her a heads up of just a few days, which admittedly seems bonkers for a job for, for a work conference happening in somewhere tropical. Like, it's not like he's saying there's Mm -hmm. a last minute conference in Omaha, you know, there's a last minute conference in Manzanillo. And I just found out like yesterday, okay, red flags are just going up all over the place. Mm-hmm. And sure, Felix and Laura decide to track track him down, like take their little stake out on the road, go to Manzanillo and catch him in the act. And we get there and it turns out that um, Dean is actually very much telling the truth. His coworker is shacking up there with another woman of all things. And it's all been a merry chase that... Felix has instilled into Laura and is all about nothing. Like Dean is being absolutely as faithful as he claims to be with, you know, some strange hiccups along the way. I don't know about you, but to me that felt like a weird cop out. We've been given all of these breadcrumbs to feel like, you know, this is going very, very wrong, that some of the things that she was explaining away early, her her mother and her father both say, this is weird. This is, this is not how a normal relationship works. This is not how a normal professional acts. Something is going on. And we get to the end of this movie and it turns out, no, nothing is going on. This guy's just working really hard and being a little bit of a klutz in how he goes through it. Mm -hmm. How did that go for you? Uh, like I've, I think I've kind of tipped my hand in terms of talking about it as a cop out. But how did that sit for you? I mean, I suppose it feels a little familiar. Like they're in in these sorts of movies where you know the woman's always worried about, or or conversely, the guy is worried about someone having an affair. They always have this grandiose reveal, I suppose, at the, at the end where they always end up somewhere peculiar. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess it was a little familiar. It it seemed 
on brand for Felix, right? Like this is a guy who would at the drop of a hat, go to Paris or at the end buy a ticket on the QE2, which by the way, great sequel idea. However, <laughs> you know, he's also there. He's like, Oh, I can sell a painting. I can do like, he's, he's all over the place. So this is very on brand for Phoenix for Felix. And he, she's just, yeah, dra- dragging her along for the for the ride. I feel she. Yeah, this is never something that Laura would have done on her. Well, on I her mean, own. So this this last bit is all him. Well, see, no, like I okay, yes, agreed. I, I I totally buy that he would take her there. That's not the part that I'm saying. You know, I call shenanigans. I call shenanigans in the fact that <laughs> it, it 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 was you know this is like an episode of Three's Company. It was all one big misunderstanding, and I'm sitting there like come on this guy has acted if not shady then certainly really really clumsy for 80 minutes and now in the last 10 we're gonna explain it away as just clumsy if i didn't know better and of course i do know better i'd swear that a dude wrote this script (laughs) um all right i can see your point in fact i don't even actually quite like how they reconcile at the end of of this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't like when she's like, Oh, I, I thought you didn't like me anymore. And that you thought I was boring. And he, he goes, Oh, well you are a little bit <laughs> like, I just like, so I, I, I don't like the end of this movie for, for that reason. That being said, I mean, what else would you have preferred to have happened? Uh, that he, because that- I, because I never wanted Dean to be the bad guy. <sighs> Even though he seems like a bit of a, like he's a workaholic, he's doing all these, all these things, but I never wanted him to be the bad guy. But the movie goes so far out of its way to set him up as the bad guy that I mean, that's the weird thing about this story is it, you know, when we're talking about, he bought something at Harry Winston and where did it go? Well, it went, to the engravers for longer than we thought. And, you know, your birthday present was a blender instead of something actually really thoughtful and, you know, that kind of thing. And the movie I feel goes- like then you're falling into Felix's trap, though, right? Where you can't believe that any guy would be monogamous. Yeah, but I mean, but that's that's the whole thing is Felix has been in our ear the whole time. And, and not, not only that, but I mean, we're, we're in a culture where guys act weird, where guys hide their phone and guys are a little bit too chummy with some of their female coworkers. And I, I guess maybe that's the thing is I've been, <laughs> I've spent the last several years watching so many guys act so shitty that to have it all be one great big misunderstanding is going against type. Like, it's like, we're trying to steer back into no, really, they're a good guy with me kind of thing. So I, I, maybe that's it is just watching men be so shit for so long is, is misinforming me as to this one guy (laughs) who's just really, really bloody clumsy. He's not really clumsy though, is he? Because he has nothing to hide. He's not being clumsy. He's just living his life. (laughs) No, I know. But I mean, you know, if nothing else, like he, he even has to admit, and he does admit to, to, to his face. And we're kind of glossing over the fact Marlon Wayans plays this guy really well, you know, like everything mm-hmm. from when he's got to be this kind of tech superstar to when he's got to be this, you know, you know, when he's a husband and father, um, and even just his, 
chilly, his few chilly interactions with Felix, um, Marlon Wayans brings more to this character than, than is necessarily something I, I associate with Marlon Wayans. Um, he admits that he has put himself into this position. Like when they finally have it out and he's got to spell out every single misinterpretation that he's led his wife towards, he does see how she got there. Like she is mm-hmm. not a crazy bitch. She, she, every single suspicion while Felix certainly stoked them is justified, you know, because when she says you're hanging out with her all the time and you're going things at the last second and you come home and you act very differently and he cops it and he's like, I've been working so hard because I wanted your approval. You know, it's yeah, it all does add up when you see it that way. But at the same time, like he doesn't shake his head and say, what are you talking about? You know, like Mm -hmm. when she says you go places at the last second and you just kind of leave me hanging, hanging at the door. He hasn't helped matters. I guess is where I'm trying to go with this. And I I wanted a movie that would really dig more into how he hasn't helped matters instead of, oops, sorry, I'm a klutz. Well, and I mean, perhaps the movie would have then benefited from an extra 10 or 15 minutes of something else at the end. I don't yeah. know what, but yeah. maybe just a bit more insight into them afterwards. Or maybe a little bit more of, you know, him kind of straightening out his ways, right? Because again, as you say, she's not crazy. She's not imagining all of this stuff. And maybe that would have been a better resolution than just a 30 second conversation outside their apartment where all of a sudden everything's better. We see the start of their relationship in that sequence you mentioned earlier on mm-hmm. um, at their wedding, where it's, it's, it's really romantic, really sexy, really understated of them kind of stealing away from their own wedding ceremony. Um, I would have loved to have seen a mirror to that where they kind of steal away from the argument or their marriage for a minute to connect, you know, in this moment. It's, it's a, it's like a little over 90 minutes. So the movie had the time. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not uh, like, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm picking all kinds of threads in this movie and it's not bad. I'd never go so far as to saying it's not a bad movie. It's, it almost just kind of feels, it feels like it doesn't trust itself, you know, or, or if I didn't know better, I would say that Sofia Coppola didn't trust Rashida Jones to put these emotions into her acting instead of writing them explicitly for her in the dialogue. Oh, I wouldn't say that. No, I mean, no, I mean, well, I I guess that depends on what happened first. Was she cast first or was the, or was the script done first? You you can't just, you know, I don't know. I I think that that's going far because I think that Rashida Jones is a underrated leading actress she's de- she's good like you know she certainly as i said like she certainly as good as any of those other women that we mentioned earlier on as emma yes. watson or kirsten dunst or or um scarlett johansson like she's certainly a ta- as talented as any of them i don't know why she had to speak as much of her emotions instead of just show them i don't know why she needs to keep making the same movie over and over again then oh there's that too what's, uh, <laughs> what's to say that she's just not evolving as an artist and wanted to write a script that was a bit more a little verbose. bit more talky that's true and, and and that's the thing is just you know we've when we see 
that may that may be it as is Coppola is at a stage in her career where she wants to write a, a more talky movie and we're going to watch that stage because she may not get to the level of like some of the best talky script writers but she she's you know, certainly better than a lot of the screenwriters out there. So it's just you, like you say, like we're we're seeing the start of an evolution where the characters are expressing more with their mouths than there are with their bodies. I mean, look, this is one of her more like mainstream accessible movies. Oh, yeah. She might find the and keeping in mind this is on Apple Plus, and I'm I'm not sure how as a platform that's performing quite yet. But I I do think that she's going to find more of audience with this film than she would with say. The Virgin Suicides, which is a little bit more niche. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is a good point. Like where it comes to her filmography, I would certainly hand this to somebody as kind of the entry stage because, like, even something like Lost mm-hmm. in Translation, I could see a lot of people tapping out of Lost in Translation and just saying that they were bored. You know, this is some this is certainly something I could give like any person who's never seen a Sofia Coppola movie. I'm like, watch this. You know, like this is mm-hmm. this will kind of give you an idea what she's about, and she's going to go other places. But this is a very very accessible. Uh, entry point. That's a, that's a good point, actually. We, of course, end our reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If we could take away from this movie and keep, we would. Hillary Butler, what would be your souvenir from On the Rocks? This is a hard one because I figured you were going to say the car, so I didn't want to say the car. <laughs> so, um, I would love to have uh, her writer's desk. I just... I know it's plain. It's simple. It was a beautiful space. We both do enough writing that we could have a space like that to ourselves. And I just, I just, I loved it. I loved all of the scenes at it. It just made me feel cozy. I mean, I I was kind of going to go for Jenny Slate's Afternoon Delight t-shirt, but I'm going to up my game and say that I want the writer's desk. I, I do love after five years of friendship that you know that I would choose the car. Um, <laughs> so well played. Um, you're right, though. That is that is an amazing office that she works in, that desk. I'm like, you know, after 200 plus days in a one-bedroom apartment, I'm like, man, space. Look at that. A space. room without people. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, is, that is a good souvenir. Uh, yeah, I'm choosing the car. Uh, that car that is in no way practical <laughs> – uh, you know, is is definitely the the sign of somebody with money. Maybe that's why I want it because I don't have money. Um, it's it's so absurd. It is not at all practical. It calls so much attention to itself and really just kind of epitomizes somebody who is not of this time. You know what I mean? That, that, that's the thing yeah. is like that <laughs> that is that is so not twenty twenty that it should really just be living in a garage somewhere and brought out for special occasions. Um, But man, does it look cool and man, does it look fun. And just the way he drives it around New York, I don't even know what kind of car it is. I'm going to have to put the model and make in the show notes, but (laughs) that would be so much fun to drive. Your next stakeout is a special occasion. So just, just pull that out. Yeah. Yeah. That is, (laughs) that is true. Um, We rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars, Hillary Butler. What do you give Sophia Coppola's on the rocks? I'm, I'm giving it a solid three and a half. Wow. I, I, I didn't love the end, but the rest of it stuck with me. And even watching it the second time, I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, It's funny because when I sat down to start doing my notes, I was sitting on about a two and a half. Um, But you talking about it with you, I now reconsider up to a three. And that 
kind of clicks because I'm still cooler on it than you, but still higher than I was warmer than when I started this conversation. So there you go. Three and a half from Hillary, three stars from me. Um, Sophia Coppola is on the rocks. It's on Apple Plus right now. Um, if you have access to that, uh, go to it. There's all kinds of free content there, including a television show that Hillary loves. But there's movies. There's good movies. There's stuff like this. Um, Hala, which came out last year. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of slowly building up their brand to try they're to... They're getting sneakily good, as my friend says. Yeah. And they've got John back yeah so. it's it's an interesting little experiment that apple's trying in these streaming war times that we find ourselves in um let us know what you think ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of sofia coppola's on the rocks uh we're gonna be right back after this we're gonna take a very quick break and come back with uh, the other side and talk about some more movies after this We're back. She's Hillary Butler. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Nacast 246. We've been talking about Sophia Coppola's On the Rocks. This is the part of the show where we flip the record over, play the other side. We talk about more movies, uh, further reading that you could go on to after this film, whether you liked it or did not like it. Ms. Butler, why don't you get us started? What is a movie you thought about after multiple times of watching On the Rocks this week? <laughs> um... So the first movie that came to mind, which I think that you also really love, is a movie from 2018 called Hearts Beat Loud. Ah, um, yes. And I chose this one because of the father-daughter component. So I mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of really great father-daughter movies. And this is a very different one. There's no stakeouts or car chases involved. But it is about a father wanting to bond with his daughter, which was one of the themes of On the Rocks. You know, as she says at the end, if you wanted to spend time together, you could have just picked up the phone. But in this movie, Nick Offerman, who plays the dad to uh, Kiersey Clemens' character, wants to try and, and make music uh, with his daughter before she goes off to medical school. Uh, and he uh, becomes an empty nester. And I just, I loved this movie. I loved the music. So anytime that I can get people to go and watch it, I will. That is uh, that is a wonderful movie. We did a podcast about that the summer that it came out. Um, I am you're right. I am a big fan. Uh, actually, um, you know, a little fun fact: the song "Hearts Beat Loud" is my alarm clock every morning. That's that's the, <laughs> that's what I wake up to every single day. Um, yeah, that movie I like because it shows a positive uh, father daughter dynamic you know like there's there's been all of this talk the last several years about being a quote-unquote girl dad it's it's kind of one of those things where you kind of wonder why guys should be patting themselves on the back for this thing <laughs> you know for for it should for, just be a dad <laughs> yeah yeah you know like it, it shouldn't it shouldn't come with a gold star it should just be i mean it's great that guys are now taking interest in their daughters the way that they had historically only taken an interest in their sons um but this is one of those movies where the father-daughter dynamic is that but without the gold star like they just connect this way first of all because they've been thrown into the situation um kirstie clemens 
mom, I can't remember the character name off the top of my head, but her mom died when she was very, very young. So Nick Offerman did the raising. So they, they've been kind of turned into this close unit the whole time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're, they're a very understanding uh, father and daughter. They give each other their space. They understand what each other really likes and what each other really um, wants out of life. And yeah, they've got, they've got this, They've got this shared passion of music, which I mean, you know, if yeah. you if you want to talk me into a movie, tell me it's about two people talking music, and <laughs> you know, you're you're sold. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a great choice for a good father daughter movie. I found another good father daughter movie. I actually found a few of them. It's weird. It's not as as prevalent as mother daughter movies or father son movies. It's it the the the, the lines crossing are a little bit harder to to kind of pick when you're going through film history. But another one that I found is another matinee cast, which is quite old at this stage. Um, I went back to 2011 and thought about the descendants by Alexander Payne with George oh. Clooney. Yep. George Clooney. Yep. yep. So here, I mean, it's crazy because here you have another story of infidelity in this case, actual infidelity here. You have another Scooby-Doo like hunt around Hawaii to try to piece together this story again, that in the descendants actually is happening. Not that may have been happening. Uh, it's, it's weird because stories have kind of started coming out about how Alexander Payne is a shit as far as a human being is concerned. I'm like packing away his movies a little bit, but this is a movie that I really love um, for Clooney because Clooney plays a, a little bit more of a schmo, like as much as Clooney can play a schmo, he plays a schmo in this movie. Um, <laughs> this was the breakout performance of Shailene Woodley, who I love mm -hmm. in like everything she does. And yeah. again, yeah, watching the father and daughter try to connect when in the past they haven't, you know, like the same sort of thing as on the rocks. You've got this relationship that really hasn't been a bowl of cherries for their lives, but here they are thrown into the situation and they need to make the best of it. Um, the descendants I think is a really good one in terms of that, mm -hmm. where that relationship gets to the end of the movie in a good place. It has been a very long time since I saw that movie, probably since 2011. Really? So, you know, my retention for it. Will be <laughs> uh, that, it's, it's crazy. That, that's one that I've come back to. I mean, I own it. So that's, that's a, a you know, check mark in its direction, but it's one that I've come yeah. back to quite a few times. Cause they, like if it's on Netflix or if it's on demand, that's the one that I'll give it some time just because I like the writing in that movie. And I love the performances in that movie. Um, so I've come back to it a few times. Uh, what else did you come up with uh, as a companion film to on the rocks? Um, something else that probably I haven't seen for a long time. Um, but again, I, I was mentioning how much I like Rashida Jones as a, Actress, so Celeste and Jesse Forever is a good way of yeah. also seeing her. There's a movie I haven't thought about in a hot minute. Right? Tell people about this one. I um, feel like that's a movie that flew, like, I don't think it even made the radar, let alone under the radar. Well, I mean, it was a Sundance uh, film, I think, in 2012. So it, it didn't, uh, it, it wasn't that it wasn't, uh, you know, a little festival circuit film, but I think that's all it ended up really <laughs> being um when i look at its box office it actually only made like three million dollars at the box office so clearly not a huge hit um but uh i believe in it they start off in a relationship and end up uh getting divorced or separated rather but staying very very 
close friends. She decides that she wants to kind of play the field and they've been together since they were really, really young. And so they, she decides to kind of end things and separate things a little bit, but they stay uncomfortably close and things kind of go wrong when Andy Samberg's character, who is her partner, finds someone else to date and she discovers that maybe her feelings aren't over for him. So it's kind of like a weird, unconventional rom-com. And it is a rom-com, but I mean, Rashida Jones and Andy Samberg have really great chemistry. And yeah, I haven't seen it for a very long time, but actually now that I looked this movie up, I'm like, I need to rewatch this. <laughs> I do remember this movie being really, really handsome. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it makes LA look really good. Uh, Rashida Jones wrote it. Uh, she co-wrote it with Will McCormick. Co-wrote it. Um, it's, yeah. it's the kind of movie where, you know, you and I have both been to enough film festivals where we know that a, a movie will really play well within the bubble of a film festival. But then when, you know, it comes time to put it out into a multiplex. It just can't gain any kind of traction. It's it's really subdued. It's the kind of movie, like right now, if you're looking for something to watch and you've already gone through all of the big movies and you've landed on <laughs> Celeste and Jesse Forever, like you're still in for a good story. It's it's just getting the audience attention for this kind of movie. You know, I look at Andy Samberg and the poster for this movie and right now my brain's already going to, uh, was it Palm Springs earlier this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. not even that kind of movie out of Andy Samberg. I think that's the other thing too is if you saw Andy Samberg on the poster for this movie, you would think it's probably something really zany and kooky, and it's not. So Mm-mm. if you can if you can get there, that's uh, that's the hardest thing is getting somebody onto the couch for this movie and understanding their expectations. They would really like this movie and watching that relationship. Like I think that's a good male female relationship that's in a healthy place, even though it's got its issues and they've got to deal with some shit they deal with that some shit in a very mature way as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know what we see in in, on the rocks um good choice no i definitely wouldn't have thought of that um you know we talked enough about uh sofia coppola earlier on when we're doing our main review i feel it's only fair to back up into her filmography and i have chose as far as you know when i mentioned bougie uh i had to go to the capital B bougie in her, in her filmography. And I went back to Marie Antoinette. Um, this movie from 2006 was initially where I tapped out with Sofia Coppola. I didn't get it or, or at least it didn't land for me when I first saw it in theaters. I thought it was kind of a, I thought it was a lot of pretty pictures and a glorified music video shot in Versailles. But as I've gone back and rewatched it a few more times and thought about it in the perspective of a movie that wants to show not tell i actually appreciate this movie a lot more um in terms of you know this woman who is put into this position not necessarily by choice and is kind of pushed and pulled and prodded around versailles by everybody except her own will and you know a lot is expected of her whether or not she's ready for it and how she handles that. I love this movie now. I really didn't like it the first <laughs> time I saw it. And, you know, I, I feel it. it's one of those movies that um, the mantra of this show has always been watch it again. This is one of those examples of me revisiting a movie and it growing in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this movie in, in a little while? I haven't seen it in a little while, but I do remember like what I remember most about this movie 
um, from the one time that I probably did see it was the color. In oh, this yeah. Movie. <laughs> like oh, just, yeah. It, I just remember it just popping yeah. everywhere. But you know what would be a great companion to this movie is actually if you watched that and then watched The Great on Amazon Prime, which is not a movie, it's a TV show, I get it. But similar characters and also starring a Sofia Coppola darling, uh, Elle Fanning, who has yes. been in a couple of her films now. Um, that would also be a really cool thing to watch back to back. Definitely. If you want I mean, more if you want more bougie. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were in a bougie mood, this is the director for you. And and yeah. Yes. Um yeah, I I it's crazy because I uh, when I finished watching Marie Antoinette, I, I never expected it was gonna be something I go back to, but now and then when I'm doing work, I'll put on a movie just for visual company you know it's, it's there's times where i'll put on a movie so i can listen like i'll put on a very talky movie there's other times where i'll put on something that i can just have you know a really pretty screensaver going while i'm you know have to listen to something else and i think that was how i first ended up coming back to this movie and then i unplugged and i started listening mm-hmm. again and i was like man this is actually a lot better than i remember and 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 yeah this is a, a Kind of an underrated movie by Sofia Coppola. Well, there we go. That is a protracted episode 246 of the Matinee Cast. And I do thank you for tuning in. Um, come on back on Monday, November 16th for episode 247. We'll talk about what's happened in the world in between now and then. Um, <laughs> what could that be? Yeah. And we will discuss American Utopia. Um, Hillary, of course, writes on Live for Film. Uh, what do you got coming up that people can look for? Um, I have uh, actually put out a few reviews lately and actually a, an interview with a uh, short filmmaker, um, Ian Bawa, that I really enjoyed. So those are all visible on the, on the Live for Films website. Very nice. If people want to follow you on Twitter and uh, see things like cool pictures of your dog and uh, the, the adventures of a veterinarian, where can they find you? Um, so they can find me at PetDocHill on Twitter. Very nice. And on Instagram. Of course. <laughs> My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and uh, everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback for On the Rocks can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email Ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. There's always Facebook as well, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Butler? If you're listening to this in the States, I hope you went and voted. And if you didn't, go and vote. Yeah. Good luck, America. We're, uh, you're, you're we're rooting for you. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're waiting with bated breath. For you Hillary, <laughs> I'm Ryan. You can probably hear the deep amount of worry in my voice. <laughs> for Hillary, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.